Welcome back to the Change Your Filter podcast. I am your host, Tall Paul. Today's guest is Will Blanton. Will, along with his wife, Shanna, own Blanton's Air, Plumbing, and Electrical in Fayetteville, North Carolina. In this episode, Will talks about the moment he decided to go down the path of implementing the EOS, or Entrepreneur's Operating System, and how that system has helped him scale Blanton's from $3 million to over $30 million. Will talks quite a bit about coaching and personal development. We discuss the efficacy of best practice groups like Nexstar and other trade organizations. And it's actually a really hard guest to interview because he's so incredibly humble. Please enjoy this conversation with my good friend, Will Blanton. Will, I've been waiting for this conversation and been wanting to have this conversation for a long time um, for a couple of reasons. About a year ago, um, I'll, I'll keep this person's identity private. He's a very private person, but someone very near and dear to me almost joined your team, had went through the interview process. And after that process, he had reached out to me and I was asking him like, hey, what was it like? Tell me about the Blantons because I don't know you guys that well. I know you from a distance. And, and he had said to me, that was the most intense experience I've ever had in a job interview. These guys really run a tight ship. Now, this is coming from someone who is a high-level, C-level guy, really guy or gal, to keep it anonymous, has rang the bell on Wall Street and has a ton of experience. So I want to hear your perspective on what you've built over there and find out what's going on. But anyways, I'm rambling. Will, welcome to the Change Your Filter podcast. Yeah, thank you, Paul. That was a that was an amazing experience, by the way, for us as well. So, the the unspoken uh, name is it was a great interview, and uh, yeah, really, really good experience for us as well. Awesome. Well, he he told me that after days and days of interviews, I get to get multiple interviews, that he was absolutely worn out, and you guys asked some of the hardest questions he's he's ever um, had to answer in an interview. And you know, he had also mentioned that you know he's obviously trying to get a specific role, but you were looking for an integrator, which reminded me of the EOS world. And then, you know, conversation led to you guys, you know, having implemented EOS over the years. So I have a ton of questions. I want to start from, you know, the beginning and, and hear all the stories, but I'll, I'll guess I'll just jump right into the EOS thing. If you're cool with that. Yeah, we can start wherever you want. That's good with me. Awesome. So Describe to our listeners, what is EOS and when did you guys decide to get involved? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> EOS is based off, uh, it's Gino Wickman created it. He, he wrote the book Traction. Um, you know, the uh, the easiest way to learn what EOS is, is read the book, uh, What the Heck is EOS? Yeah. And then that's the easy way to, to figure out what it is. And then if you want to do a deep dive, you can read the book Traction. Uh, but in a nutshell, it's, it's, a, it's an operating system for your company. And it's especially it's called the entrepreneurial operating system, right? So it works great in entrepreneurial companies where we don't have all these systems and processes and SOPs that that uh, you know some corporations may have. And it's it's a pre-built SOP for how to run your meetings, how to do performance reviews. I mean, just so many things, so many tools that are inside of it that uh, that we use now on a daily basis that have really streamlined our business. When did you guys go down the path of deciding to implement it into your business? And what were those first kind of moments like? So Gino spoke at a Nexstar event. I'd have to look at the exact date, but I think it was 2014 or 2015. I think I think it was 15. 
And we read the book prior to that uh, because we knew he was going to be a speaker. So when I say we, uh, myself and my management team, and, you know, we decided, hey, this looks pretty good and we're going to try to implement it ourselves. You know, we didn't want to hire an implementer out of the gate. Yeah. But yeah, that was the, that was the start of it. Um, we worked on it for a while, implementing ourselves, came up with our own core values, you know, as a team. And we got about six months in and we realized, you know, it's this would go a lot smoother with a professional. So. Mm-hmm. And what was that process like of finding a professional and, you know, you've got a growing fast company you've been through, you know, you're, you're implementing a lot of things on the fly. You introduce, a, is it a coach or an implementer? What was that process like? Yeah, absolutely. So we were pretty fortunate that we were having a next star regional meeting. Um, and we had two EOS implementers presenting at our regional meeting that we were hosting and, um, they were both great. And we, we selected one to be, our implementer, which is his name's Dale Williams. And I think Dale's won the implementer of the year uh, at least once, so maybe a couple of times, which is pretty astounding because there's thousands of them, right? So right. it's pretty astounding that he's won it, one implementer of the year for the whole group. But um, yeah, it just made a huge difference, not only as, as a coach to help implement EOS, but he brought in his own uh, career experiences and his background is in, I mean, just a very wide array of backgrounds, great great guy, great background. And he did a lot to not only help us in the EOS world, but also just as a friend and as a coach. So I think it's important who you pick. You know, when I originally read the book, I've been through what you've been through where we read the book and the management team, leadership team was enlightened by it. And we're like, oh, we, we want to do this on our own. So we started trying to layer in the different things and, you know, eventually would probably need a coach. Um, but one of the things in the book that stood out to me was this line that Gino Wickman wrote that said, you are not your business. Your business is an entity in and of itself. Yes, you created it, Will and Shanna, but in order to find success, you have to turn it into a self-sustaining organism. Where are you guys in the path of turning Blanton's into a self-sustaining organism? Talk to me about that experience. Yeah. So if you would have asked me that same question in November, I would have said, we got a long way to go. Yeah. Um, We are a completely different organization today than we were, uh, how many months ago was that now? Nine? Yeah, completely different. And and the key reason is we you spoke earlier about us looking for an integrator. And November November fifteenth um, was the day that we hired our integrator. Um, yeah. And man, what a difference it has made in our organization. In the cult, uh, we had a really solid culture already, but in really solidifying that culture and then putting in the systems and processes and making sure that, you know, that the systems and processes that we have are being followed every day. Um, as an entrepreneur, I think a lot of us are kind of in the same, uh, we're great at starting things. Mm-hmm. We're really good at getting something started. And, and, uh, we assume that it's going to keep on going after we walk away. And I've started so many things and then came back three months later, four months later, five months later to say, Hey, why, why aren't we doing that anymore? <laughs> and they're like, well, you quit talking to us about it. So we stopped doing it. And that's where really where an integrator comes in, right? Is all the things that you implement and it stops happening. That's an integrator. That's what an integrator does is they make sure those things don't stop happening. So you get to be the fun idea guy and then have someone bring it to life. It, my job, the last, I would say really the last, um, since February has been the most fun I've had in business ever. Um, I have one direct report 
and it's it's Zach and um, our integrator, and and he and I have a great relationship. He thrives off of the being in the business and being in the day to day and 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 making sure the trains are running on time, and and I get to thrive in the things that I thrive on, and and that's you know where are we going and how we're going to get there, and and uh, the collaboration of us two working together. There's a book that Gina wrote wrote called Rocket Fuel, and it it literally has been rocket fuel for us um, since the day he came on board. And was the missing link just being able to bridge the gap between all of your ideas and energy and passion to the day-to-day tactical things that need to get done? Well, one of the things, so yes, and one of the things that, that an integrators, a really good integrator will do is protect the team from the visionary. And not speaking, not speaking visionary like I'm Jesus or something, but just in the EOS world. So the integrator's role is to protect the team. Part of it, part of his role is, or his or her role is to protect the team from the visionary because we have so many ideas and most of them aren't good, right? Or a lot of them aren't. I have a lot of ideas that, and you can absolutely run your team to death with implementing new things and the flavor of the month and nothing sticks, right? Because they're just like, oh, here's another one of Will's crazy ideas. And and when the integrator's there and he says, hey, let's talk about that. And that, you know, let's walk through the idea. What would it look like? And how would we implement it? When's the right time to do it? And to push back and say, hey, man, I love the idea or I don't love the idea, whichever one is fine, but we need to wait. Um, this isn't the right time to do it. And so that's that's been a, a and I'm learning through him that sometimes you got to go slow to go fast. And I was always, you know, let's run through the walls. Let's bust them down and let's go and we'll pick up the pieces later. And man, we're moving so much faster now that I'm not doing that. So, or he, I'm still doing it. He's just protecting the team from me. (laughs) Got it. Got it. Now the interesting thing and not, not the, I guess this isn't a unique thing, but part of that team is your wife. So if you're the visionary, where does Shanna, where does she kind of sit within the organization in terms of characteristics like that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I don't know if you're familiar with color code, but I'm a I'm a yellow color code, which means my primary driver is is to have fun, right? Yeah. I mean, everything I've built this business to do is so I can have a good time. Yeah. Um. And and I'm motivated by that. You know, people think that yellows are just like all we want to do is party. No, I want to build a, an, an amazing business that will support the lifestyle that I want. Um. And you know, support having fun. Mm-hmm. Shanna, on the other hand, is a blue. You know, blue is detail oriented, very very detail oriented and Shanna has more integrator characteristics than I do. And so through the first, I don't know, 20 some years that we worked together after going through and reading traction and seeing the EOS model, even though she is, if she takes the test, she'll test out as closer to a visionary. Mm -hmm. But when we're looking at her characteristics versus mine, she's leaned into that integrator role more than I did. So she's, been the integrator for the company most of the last 20 years. Yeah. And so that's, that comes with its own challenges when she's the one trying to rein in, right. The, the visionary and it's her husband. So tell me more about that because I I'm sure that strikes a chord with a lot of husband, wife teams that have worked together for, you know, short period of time or 20 years when you're making the promises and having fun and, you know, all, all the ideas and she's the one that has to kind of clean things up oh, and man. keep it tidy. So, yeah, go back to we were just talking about this on the porch the other night. Go back to uh, like 99, 2000, 2001. Um, we're 
newly newly married, married in 96. She joined the business in 2000, pregnant with our first son. And in, I can remember distinctly in 2004, we had a sales guy that was working for us, really, really good sales guy. And he was doing really well for himself. And he was living, while he was working for us, he bought a house on a golf course. Mm-hmm. And um, Shannon and I were living in a double wide. And she was like, when's it going to be our turn, right? When's it going to be our turn? And I'm like, just wait, it's coming. Just and, and the whole time we're, you know, we're putting money back in the business. And we're really, honestly, at that time, we weren't making that much either. We were just trying yeah. to figure things out. But just kept saying, hey, just it, it'll be our time soon enough. It'll be our time soon enough. So there's some there's some faith that has to be there on both sides that um, and trust that, hey, we're going to make it. We're going to get there. Um, and then as far as the like visionary integrator side of it, you know, there was a lot of you know, a lot of uh, conflict with that, you know, with, oh, yeah. with us, the two of us working together. And fortunately for us is we've figured out a way early on to. I don't think you ever really set business aside from your personal relationship. I mean, when you're in a business together. But Shanna does a masterful job of being able to overlook if I overstep my bounds as a owner and, you know, you can only have one captain of a ship. And so right. if I overstep my bounds as an owner and, you know, maybe I say something more brash than I should have. And it's maybe in front of some people. Um, she's not happy about it, but she does a masterful job of saying, I get it. You know, it was the moment it was heated. It's all good. And not taking it home. Right. So where we're spending three days talking about, Hey, you weren't being yourself in that moment. And you know, you, whatever. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm, I'd like to take a segue here only because you planted this breadcrumb and I want to get back to it. I want to talk about, you had have talked to me privately about, um, some of the characteristics of the salespeople around you. And, um, so tell me about some of the, uh, high performing salespeople on your team and, and what they mean to the business and what's special and unique about them. Yeah. So, you know, one of our, our, most senior uh, sales guy, uh, he and I have been friends since, oh, geez, we were teenagers. And uh, so he came from a service background. So he was an HVAC service technician and then, you know, went through into the sales arena. Um, really, I, I think what sets our sales team, I would say sets us apart from everyone, because I think there's a lot of salespeople out there that have the same characteristics as, as our team but they're high performing teams that, that do their number one thing is serve the client first. And I know a lot of people say that, but I would see our team walk away from a job if they couldn't take care of the client and they knew that we weren't the right fit rather than trying to discount it or, you know, sell them something that wouldn't work. Um, I think we just have a really, really solid sales team that cares first about the client and worry about, you know, the, the sale of second. Yeah. And, and I know keeping numbers private, you've got some really high performing salespeople. It reminds me of a question I've, I've had with other contractors and that, you know, you've been all over the country and been to different industry events and and you meet interesting people who've done remarkable things with business. And, and sometimes it just so happens to be that they're, they are in LA, Phoenix, Dallas, you know, Miami, these markets with, um, a ton of, uh, positive indicators for the demographics and also just pure scale, right? Just number of people you're in Fayetteville, right? Fayetteville is not Charlotte. Fayetteville is not DC. 
Um, when you're ever at some of these events, do you ever think that certain things don't apply to you? Or is that a, uh, I guess I'm speaking to the person that's listening to this podcast or listens to anything and thinks, well, that doesn't matter to me, or that doesn't, you know, that doesn't apply to me because I'm in pilot mountain or I am in, you know, Greensboro. What do you think about that? I mean, you're right in it in a city like Fayetteville. Yeah. So, um, you know, just some, and just some brief background on Fayetteville. It's Fayetteville is a small military town in North Carolina, approximately 300,000 people. Um, 48% of it is a rental market because of it being a military town. My first thought on that, Paul, is that there is some legitimacy to that, right? I mean, you, you can't expect to grow a $50 million company in a market with 300,000 people. So there is some legitimacy to, um, your market does have an impact on the type of business you can run. Um, the part where I don't agree with what I hear people say a lot as well, you can't sell at that price in our market. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's, you know, if you look at, uh, the comparison of cost of living LA to Fayetteville, right. And in, in LA, everything is going to be triple what it costs here more than likely close to it. Um, you know, we're, we're in line with, with what some of these larger, companies and larger markets are doing, you know, we're seeing average sales in the 13 and 15,000 range for our sales guys. And we've been doing that, you know, 10 plus thousand dollar average sale for a long time. And this isn't a big, it's not a big market. I I don't think there's a, when you're talking about average sale and conversion rates, those things aren't market specific as much as how big can you grow because of the market that you're in. Right. Um, let's, uh, I'll try to bring it back to, to EOS. And I want to look and, uh, talk about like the operational side of the types of meetings you're having, the types of conversations you're having. You've talked a little bit about, you know, setting a vision and values. Talk to me about what, what are some of the, the things that you've layered into the business that are just the core elements that help the business, you know, be sustainable? Yeah, absolutely. So some of the key tools that we use on a, um, either daily, weekly, monthly basis. Um, one, we, we bring our EOS implementer in every quarter to do a, a quarterly onsite where we go through and do a quarterly planning session to review the last quarter to see how we've done. Um, how did we do with our scorecard, um, you know, our goals and measurables? How did we do on our rocks, the, the 90 day goals that we had to achieve? Um, and then issue solving for the quarter. Like, what do we, what do we need to really um, tackle to achieve our goal next quarter? And then building out our rocks for the following quarter, building out the, you know, making sure that we're online with our goals for the following quarter. So we do that every quarter. And then we do a two day annual at the end of the year to kind of business plan um, for the following year. Uh, Weekly, we do what's called a a level 10 meeting. So really easy to find if you YouTube, what's a level 10 meeting. Gino does a masterful job of walking through it. But in short, it's a really easy way to run your, your, service meetings every week to run your, uh, executive meetings. So our leadership team, we, we do the same week, the same time every week, the same agenda. We don't have, you know, it starts off with everybody just giving a personal and professional win just to break the ice. Like, Hey, we we may not have seen each other for the past week. So we go down and sit, when we go and sit in that room, we want to spend a few minutes connecting personally. Um, what's a personal win? What's a professional win? And that, that's always a great way to start it off. I think everybody gets a good chance to kind of relax and, and, uh, share those personal professional wins. And then we'll roll into, um, I'm picturing the agenda in my mind now, so I make sure I get it right. So we roll in from 
that to people headlines okay. and we we talk about hey what what are some things that that uh, people did great last week hey did we did we lose someone um there's people headlines could be a customer headline anything so we go through the same agenda every single week it ends up basically getting down to reviewing our scorecard and going into solving issues and we spend about 60 minutes each week um, going through an issue solving process and it could be anything from too much overtime to you know where we what market are we growing into next you've made a well i'm going to preface this the nature of this conversation is following my curiosity so if it seems like we're bouncing around it's because these are yeah, things so i'm good. truly curious about you made a pretty big investment in the brand at some point over the last five or or ten years maybe it was you know sooner than that or, or more recent than that. Um, talk to me about the investment in brand and some of the things you've done with making Blanton's what it is. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I think that um, when we talk about brand, there's the brand that you see, yeah. right. And then there's the brand that the customer experiences and this, and it's, did we live up to the brand that you see? And I think that, um, you know, back my, this Blanton's was started by my grandfather in 51 and, I can tell you throughout the entire time that he operated the company, his delivery was always better than we looked. Mm -hmm. Always. I mean, the, what the customer experienced was better than what we looked. I mean, we were showing up in a 67 station wagon with the brown panel siding on it with a package unit on the tailgate yep. with straps holding it on. But our work was phenomenal. Yep. Best in town, not even close. Um, and he always stood by his work. Like, I, I mean, just never had a failed inspection the entire time he operated the company. So that's, uh, now he did take inspectors to eat sometimes lunch. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but, uh, but it was to build relationships, not to try to buy their favoritism, but you know, he always over delivered on, on the experience. And the only place we fell short at was what did the brand look like from the outside? And so after, you know, after I'd been operating the company for a few years, we had done a couple of renditions of some logos and, different truck things and nothing really quite landed with what the real Blanton's experience was about. And so we, uh, Shannon and I sat down one day and we, we were talking, I was like, you know, I really want to, I really want something that takes us back to the, the founding of the company back to, I mean, it was founded in 51. So we, we decided we wanted to go with something that was kind of a retro feel to take us back to that time frame. Yeah. And so when I started Google searching, Hey, what, you know, how do you design a retro logo? Um, everybody's everybody's going to know this guy now. But back in 2013, when we did it, he wasn't um, quite as popular as he is today. But Dan Antonelli pops up. You know, at the time it was graphic design. Today it's kick charge. And, and yeah. uh, I worked with Dan, did the questionnaire. And he's like, man, what do you what do you want this thing to look like? And we just went through all the questions. And I said, I want a mascot. And they came back with a drawing. A little sketch and this story is on our uh, i think this story is on our website but it's really cool he came back with a sketch and i showed it to shanna and she was like oh my god that looks just like your like your grandpa and i was like i sent dan a message back and i said put some glasses on him and suspenders on him and we're done and wow. he did that and um i put him on the side of my van started driving around and i had family members calling me saying so cool you put grandpa in your vans Right. And it was never the intent. I never sent him a picture of him to say, here's what I want to do. It just one of those things that uh, that happened. And so much so that my grandfather's middle name was Coolidge. And right. so Coolidge goes really well with the HVAC business. Right. So our mascot's name is Coolidge. So, right. uh, you know, now we have the Coolidge 
the full size mascot runs around the baseball field, the minor league team. And yeah, it's really fun. So now what we look like, I think finally matches the experience. Yeah. Now what you just described there, it confirms my perception of you. And that is you're pretty humble. You have humility. You don't boast. But if I'm hearing that right, you Googled and found graphic design, which was Dan Antonelli in 2013 before he was kick charge, right? Right. Correct. Yeah. Is it fair to say, and we could edit this out, Dan, if you're listening, is it fair to say you put him on the map for HVAC or was it those connections? Was it your brand that led to? Yeah, I would love to say that it was, but he had some really great brands prior yeah. to ours. I mean, he had, uh, I remember specifically looking at some of them. Timo's was one of them. Oh yeah. Um, they had a really great retro brand. He had he had five or six on his website and that's what the reason why we, we chose him is he had some really great brands on there already. So I'd love to be the guy to take the credit for putting Dan on the map, but I can't do that. I funny story though, is when, when I sent, when I was sending over the files to my rap guy locally, um, he, he was emailing, he, he called me and said, Hey man, just let me design a thing. I don't want to get this design from some guy that doesn't know what he's doing and blah, blah. And I said, just let me send it over to you. And so I forwarded him Dan's email. And he called me right away. He said, are you kidding me? Did Dan Antonelli design your raps? And I was like, what do you know about Dan Antonelli? He's like, he's a God. And I was like, all right. So apparently he had read Dan's book. So I didn't even know, but that was, that was a pretty cool. He didn't, he wasn't too worried about rapping with Dan's designs after that. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a gentle nudge to Dan. Dan, you're, you, you do incredible work and, um, you know, marketers alike. I mean, I was just having a conversation with a marketer a couple of days ago that just said, Dan's work makes everything else so much easier. It makes ads easier. It makes website design easier. And I've had some experience in that world and I can attest to that. Let's talk about brand, the investment in brand. So I like what you said there about, you know, the experience you deliver is within your control and you know, you're going to execute on that. It's the, like the opposite of what, right? So that's, it's the brand now that has to match that. How do you internally make sure that as you grow and you've got ambitious goals, you know, revenue wise, you've got ambition geography wise, you're, you're covering a much bigger area. What are some tools you have in place to make sure that, you know, you're delivered, the brand is one consistent and, you know, sends the message, but then two, that you're fulfilling that with your team members. Well, that's, that's a great question. And the first, the first answer I have is that we don't always, yeah, uh, we don't always deliver on the promise because of the, and, and, and I don't even think it's because of the growth. I think it's because look, once you look back and say, we could have been prepared for that if we would have known this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and a perfect example we just went through this past year was, uh, you know, we really got understaffed in our call center. I mean, we we mm-hmm. doubled, we had a 92% growth from June of 2022 over June of 2021 and similar in May and then similar again in July. And we just weren't prepared for that call volume. And it, we really, our customer service really suffered to our clients. Um, our team really suffered, right? Our customer service representatives that we have really suffered because of the amount of call volume coming in and we just weren't prepared for it. So the, the short answer is you're not always prepared and we don't always deliver on that promise and we fix it as quickly as possible. So we jumped on it and within three weeks of us being in the middle of this, we had four, four new CSRs on board being trained, um, so I think that that it's always measuring. I think the scorecards and EOS really help mm-hmm. to 
make sure that you're delivering on those promises. One of the things we review every week in, in every department's L10 is scorecards. And one of the things on those scorecards is the number of five-star reviews and the number of one-star reviews. Mm-hmm. So if we start seeing some one-star reviews coming in, and in this case we did, um, it was about us not answering the phone, right? Mm-hmm. And and being put on hold and not getting the service they expected. And, you know, so I think ha- having great scorecards, having great metrics and, then have, you know, one of the tools that uh, that you have in EOS is is a accountability chart and a people analyzer. And using those tools, you can make sure you have the right people in the right seats. And I think if you have the right people in the right seats, they'll make sure that we're not dropping the ball. And if we even if we do drop the ball, that we fix it as quickly as possible. Let's talk about the scorecard. Um, what are the, you know, how many items are on the scorecard? What are the metrics you're, you're measuring? Do they change over time? Of course, the, the KPIs do, but what are the elements of the scorecard? Yeah, so for example, for us, for a leadership team, so we, we measure, and some could argue some other things that you should measure, but what we measure is um, revenue compared to budget for each department. Yep. You know, we want to see each department revenue compared to budget. Now, what that tells us, if one of those is off, We'll go dig into why, right? But we just need to know if it's off. Yeah. And then we measure uh, employee turnover. I mean, obviously, we want to know how our team members are doing, how we're doing, taking care of our team. And we measure uh, five star reviews for the team. We measure cash flow and uh, net profit uh, or EBITDA. So we're we're measuring that. Some of those are monthly numbers, right? You're not going to get those every week, but the other ones we measure on a weekly basis. Can you share some insight around the accountability chart? Sure. So accountability chart is looks almost just like an org chart. The only difference is it has the five key re, uh, roles and responsibilities. Yep. Um, and with that, you it's, it's the five most important roles for that person in that seat. Yep. And, and that allows us to build out what does the future of the company look, need to look like and yeah, really define what the five ro- most important roles are. Yeah. When, when you kind of take a historical view on your time at Blanton's and you've been there for a long time, what is the most significant turning point that was kind of like a breakthrough for you feeling like this thing is a, a sustainable business that doesn't own me, but I own it, if you know what I mean there? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a that's a good question. I, I think that we did a pretty good job. So back in... Um, about 2004 or so, we were probably we were probably doing about three million in revenue. I'm guessing just without going back and looking at books, but I could step away from the business at that point for short periods of time. You know, a week had a had a solid group of uh, solid team, and since that time, I've it's it's been where I've had some freedom, right? Where if I wanted to go on vacation for a week, I could do it and trust the team to to run things uh, really really solid team members and some of them are still here um that that enabled me to do that and um so i've had that for for quite a while now the freedom today compared to then is you know i don't have any desire to leave for three or four months at a time but if i wanted to they would probably run better without me here <laughs> for three or four months just because you know sometimes i can be a distraction to the team so yeah. um you know, that's really since I'd say within the past six, eight months has been, man, I feel like I could just take off for, I mean, literally we had our biggest month ever in every department in June, every department had their biggest month ever. And I was gone for two weeks. Yeah. 
and didn't and wasn't checking in daily to see how they were doing. You know, I trust the team to do their to do what you, what we hired them to do and let them go. Hire amazing people and let them go. When did you? Well, I should preface this with a statement first. But I have noticed that you uh, and Shanna have invested quite a bit in your own personal development, leadership development, traveling to different things, investing a lot in that. When did you decide to start investing in yourself alongside the business and, and how do those paths merge? Talk to me about the personal development side. Yeah. So this is a, this is probably one of my favorite parts of how I got into the, to the um, personal development side is when I was, I think a junior in high school, my boss was an Amway rep. And so he, you know, he, we're, we're working in this print shop and the machines are running and he's over here drawing circles on the, you know, on a piece of notebook paper saying, here, let me show you how to make a lot of money. And being a junior high, you know, being a junior in high school, I'm like, man, I'll take 2,100 bucks a month for going and finding people to sell some stuff. (laughs) Um, So the, the short of it is what I really got introduced to was the never ending learning. And so he introduced me to the, a book called The Magic of Thinking Big. And then after that, it was How to Win Friends and Influence People. And then after that, it was Think and Grow Rich. And then if you know anything about Amway, I don't know if they still do it today, but back then, and I'm not trying to sign anybody up on Amway. In fact, I <laughs> never made a dime doing it, but it was an amazing experience. Yeah, They had these huge seminars, right? And it reminds you of a, like a Nexstar seminar, but on steroids, because there'd be 10,000 people at these seminars cheering and going crazy and you know, all this energy and and talking about what kind of career could you build, right, as an entrepreneur. And that's that probably fueled, I think I was an entrepreneur by spirit, that but that probably fueled that a, a lot and and then gave me some tools um during high school to to really build off of. So from there, that was in ninety, you know, early nineties. By the time I was um taking over the business, I think I was twenty, I don't know, it was nineteen ninety eight. I was twenty-four. 23, 23 or so when my grandpa retired and uh, he said, I'm either going to close it or, you know, you can take over the business. And he was like, you, you know, we had a, he had a sheet metal shop. He would let me borrow. And he's like, do you want the 67 station wagon? I was like, no, keep it, which I wish now I would have kept it. <laughs> right. um, yeah. But, um, and then my grandma wrote me a check for $1,200 and said, here, this is to help you get started. Cause basically the business was him. Right. Uh It was a normal it was him and like three of my cousins that we would all work off and on to help him out. And uh, and and so when when I stepped into the business, I literally was myself and I had one of my cousins that worked with me and a check for twelve hundred bucks from my grandma. Fast forward two years and we went to um, we, we had we did like most entrepreneurs do. Right. We I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was an HVAC tech. Right. I was a really okay HVAC tech wasn't even great, but you know, most, most HVAC guys that go into the business, they were great techs and then decided to be entrepreneurs. I wasn't even a great tech. So fast forward, we're, we're, we're selling train equipment and my rep comes to me and uh, he says, he says, Hey, we got this class coming up, <clears throat> up in uh, Raleigh at the DSO. This guy named Barry Burnett from BDR is coming to put it on. It's about how to build your business, blah, blah. And it was like, how much is the class? He's like, $600. I was like, can't do it. He's like, if you don't have $600 to go to the class, you might want to go get $600 to go to the class to learn how to make $600. I was like, that's probably a good, pretty good point. So um, borrowed the money. Well, I, didn't, I probably didn't have to borrow the money, but got the money, scrounged up the money to go to the training. I remember sitting in that class with Barry in uh, front of the class and, and, I'd always been told up until this point, 
is there's there's no future in the HVAC industry, right? My, my even even people that I knew in the industry is like hey, you're never going to make money in this, and be honest about it, right? Like you can rip people off and make money, but you're never going to run an honest business and make money. And Barry was the first guy, and I thought it was true because my grandpa ran an amazing business that didn't make any money, right? Right. So every all the evidence I had was you can run you can do this industry, but you're never going to make a lot of money being an honest business person. Barry Burnett was the first guy that I sat in front of that showed me a plan that said, you can be ethical, run an amazing business and make a great profit. And that was in 2000, 2000, somewhere around yeah. in there. And man, that was like one of those key moments uh, that sparked. And then I jumped all in with, with, with his, uh, his group BDR for several years and had a hired a coach, had several coach, had a, early a couple of coaches with them early yeah they yeah. were amazing helped me set up my books right he said what's your PL look like i was like i don't even know what the hell you're talking about <laughs> yeah what is a PL? Yeah, so, yeah so so anyway um you know that so that that sparked um the the that growth and then there's some milestones along the way where after the bdr you know growth period we had we went from i think we were doing maybe three or four hundred thousand dollars a year when i met barry and we grew to three to 4 million under his tutelage and his company. Um, and then, you know, somewhere around 2013 or so we were introduced to, uh, Nextar. And that was, that was really the beginning of uh, another launch, right? Because we had a nice launch with, with BDR and, uh, you know, that introduced us to man, just a, a, a lot more resources than what we had previously. What was it about Nextstar that really took you to the next level? The the first and foremost, and I've heard some other people say this on your podcast and several other podcasts, and I, and it and it's true, is yeah. the the network. Um, yeah. To to be able to go to uh, when we joined, we were I think I told you we were doing I think we were somewhere around three million dollars in revenue, and uh, Lisa White uh, previously with Nextstar said, "Can you be in Chicago next week?" And I was like, sure, we'll be there. So we went to Chicago. We visited this company, ABC, which at the time was doing like 10 and a half, 11 million. We're just walking through a shop that was 10 and a half and 11 million dollars. I had never seen a shop that big, right? I mean, in Fayetteville, there wasn't any 10 and a half or 11 million dollar companies in Fayetteville. So, and, and even in Raleigh, it was probably pretty sparse. Maybe ARS was at the time, but there wasn't really many big players around here. So to see that was, you know, pretty neat after joining Nextstar and having the the ability to go and visit, I mean, just some amazing shops and having mentors like Jamie DiDomenico and uh, Dave Geiger and Phil Smitherman. I mean, you can, you can make a, I mean, the list goes on. I mean, the, uh, all the people that came to our peer group and, you know, Wyatt out at any hour and then man, just the network is definitely the most important part of it. If yeah. you utilize the network. So I'm going to ask a relatively controversial question. It may never make it to air. My admiration for Nextstar is well-documented on the airwaves in print. It's out there. Um, the before and after is what I just find stunning. I ask people like you that question and it's before I was experiencing this and then I joined Nextstar and then this happened and it's consistent and it's stunning. My question is, you know, companies like Nextstar obviously have been around a long time. There are other companies like Nextstar that exist today, right? BDR is still around. There's best practice groups. There's buying groups. There's networking groups. There's a lot of these groups. Because of, I don't know, social media, 
because of just people reaching out online and these groups popping up and then private equity creating these clusters of buying groups and these clusters of kind of in shared incentive-based organizations. Is that a threat to companies, not just Nexstar, but is it a threat to the Nexstars of the world? Is it a threat to the service, you know, roundtable service nation alliance? Or I do, there's a there's a hundred of them. I shouldn't even name them. But do those companies stand the chance of bringing less value or becoming less relevant in the modern era? Huh, that's a great question. And first of all, I, I would say that anything I would say to answer it would be a strictly a guess. You know, sure. Yeah, based yeah. off of what I think could happen. Um, but I think that it actually could make it less valuable to anyone that's in, you know, one of the groups that have been uh, one of the PE groups or similar groups to a PE group, mm-hmm. but more valuable to those companies that aren't in those groups, because now your competition is going to be smarter than they've ever been before, because you have, you have horizon, right? Where you have, you know, what do they have? 12, 15 brands, whatever it is now, but they're all collaborating. They're, they're the, like their own networking group and same with wrench group and same with Turnpoint And, you know, all these organizations, they're having mastermind groups together. They're sharing best practices together. So they're doing what Nexstar did back for us in 2013. And I think for the people that aren't in those groups, being a part of a organization like Nexstar, which could be any one of those that you mentioned, I think will be even more important. So it, I think their clientele is going to change. And I think, you know, Nexstar is going to have a big decision to make on, you know, what happens with the P groups, right? What happens with these big organizations that have, you know, 20 brands under one roof. And, you know, I don't know what happens with that. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll see. I'm okay with it either way. You know, yeah. I, I think that Nexstar, even right now today with several P firms have a strong, you know, a, a lot of members have been bought by P groups in Nexstar and, it's still a great organization. You know, they're still member operated, even though they're, they may be under a PE umbrella, they're still showing up, the owner's showing up, their managers are showing up and it's still, they're still open book. Like I haven't seen anybody close book because they were bought by a PE firm. I just was on the phone with Jamie Domenico the other day, you know, just chatting. Right. And he's yeah. still just as willing to help me as he was before. So I think that was a, a really smart, thoughtful answer. And it answered my question because I was tr- truly curious. I'm still curious about it, but I think you gave some really good perspective there. That's really, really smart. But back to EOS. So what were the things that your team had the most resistance to? And was it good resistance? Was it productive resistance? Um, did you lose some people? What was that process like as you started holding people more accountable and all getting on the same page? Yeah, I, th- I think we lost more people right before EOS when we joined Nexstar. Um, and that wasn't because of Nexstar, but it was because we made a decision that we weren't going to, we weren't going to have anyone in the, on the team not living up to the standards. Or, and, and so that started it where, you know, we had guys that didn't want to go to training. We're like, well, if you don't want to go to training, this isn't the right place for you to be. Where previously we didn't require people to go to sales training, for example. Um, when, with EOS, I think the big pushback was the, was really implementing like the level 10 meeting and it's uncomfortable to run a true level 10 meeting when you get into issue solving, right? Because it's take down your filters. Perfect for your podcast. Thank you. Right. Take down your filters and uh, take off the mask. You know, sometimes you got to put the gloves on and we're going to go in here and solve this problem. And it, and it might get ugly and there might be some 
there might be some hurt feelings. There might be some tears. There might be, you know, the door slam when somebody walks out. It doesn't happen often, but real, we have to have real conflict in order to solve problems. Right. And, and what EOS did for us is it taught us how, and we're still learning how we're still evolving on how to have true conflict with each other and know that we're all coming from the best place for the better good of the company and not just attacking someone because they didn't do something they should have done, but it's a, Hey, how can we help you get that done? And, or, you know, why didn't you get it done? Like just an honest question. And sometimes people have a great reason, but you know, there's, there's gotta be conflict. Um, And I think that that was uncomfortable for our entire team from the top to the bottom. And that was the biggest pushback we got was in the issue solving part of EOS and, and the scorecard, the scorecard gave us, you know, people that aren't hitting the numbers don't want to be measured. Yeah. Every week in a, in a yeah. public setting or in a, <laughs> in a group setting. Yeah. Now one, now one of the takeaways, uh, Paul, that we did get, and Keith was spot on with this, I think, um, is we stopped measuring our technicians publicly. Now they all have a scorecard, but in the, in the team meeting it's the team number that they see. Got it. How did the team do? Yep. One-on-one with their manager, because we do one-on-ones every week, they see their scorecard mm-hmm. and they get coaching one-on-one. And so we stopped doing the the public ranking. And the only guys that like it are the top three. Sure. And the guys in the middle rarely ever change. And the guys at the bottom just hate it every single week. And mm-hmm. so, and they, they don't, if they do develop from the bottom to the top, it isn't because they saw themselves at the bottom for three years. It was because they found a mentor that helped them change some behaviors and developed them. So I think the, it, it, you know, there, I, I think you could argue for it either way, but we've, we decided to go the route of not posting it publicly. Right now you mentioned Keith, uh, for the listeners who don't know, that's Keith Mercurio. Um, yeah. one of your coaches, um, coaching is something you've invested quite a bit in time and energy and resources. How many coaches do you work with and what is that process in working with a coach look like? Yeah. Great, great question. So, so Keith is, is one of our coaches. He's our leadership development coach. Um, obviously, you know, former, uh, next star member, our next star employee. Our, my other coaches include, uh, a Tony Robbins certified coach. I've been working with her since 2015, 16, I think it was six, 16 or 17. Um, and, uh, so I'll start with Keith cause you asked for how we work, what, what our relationship looks like. So Keith coaches our leadership team. And so all of our uh, managers and leaders have a call with him every other week. And then we have a leadership offsite every quarter. And then we're doing a coaching session every other Friday with the entire group together. So that has been phenomenal experience for our team. It's been really awesome to watch them grow and develop with, with his leadership. Um, so then personally for me, Deborah's my Tony Robbins coach and she's just my, anything I need to take to her. She has a an expert business mind. She was the general manager for Robbins International at one time. So she understands business deeply and she's just an incredible human being that understands people deeply. So I'll take anything to her from marital issues to business issues to health issues, whatever. We'll talk about anything. And uh, she's a great sounding board. So have um, we, I have a virtual CFO. His name's Lenny that, uh, we go through the financials every single month. We have a controller here that's great, but it's always nice to have that second set of eyes. And I've been working with Lenny for, geez, probably since about 2015 or 2016. Also, he was 
we, we were introduced to him, introduced to him through, uh, we went through Tony Robbins business mastery and he was one of their partners and been using him since other coach Dale Williams is our EOS implementer. Awesome guy. So not only as, not only as our implementer, but he's also available anytime we need him. I mean, he, he interviewed our integrators for us. Right. Right. Um, So he knew what we were looking for. Um, and he interviewed him and, and, uh, just a great guy. Like I can call him anytime and just say, Hey, what would you do about this? And, and, uh, he's there for not only us, but there for our team as well when they need some help. And Brittany, our, I got two more Brittany, our, um, next star coach. So just in that fact, right before I walked, got into the meeting with you, I was on the, I was in the meeting with Brittany and our, in our team going over our June numbers. So, um, and then my, my newest addition to the coaching team is Keith Cunningham. Um, so Keith Cunningham is a business coach out of Austin and really, really awesome guy. If you want to see any information about Keith, he's got a great book called The Road Less Stupid. Highly recommend that book. And then he's got a couple other ones. And then he runs um, he runs a, a class down in Austin called The Four Day MBA, which is an amazing class. And then he partners with Tony to do some training through Business Mastery. But I signed up on one of his boards. I think he runs 20 three or 24 boards where you have, it's kind of like a Vistage group, mm-hmm. but it's a little more high level with, with Keith on the board with you. And so we go to Austin and six of us sit in a round table and we report our numbers and we report really high accountability. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my, I think it was six coaches by the time we got done and that's not counting my Vistage chair. Right. So yeah, I have a coaches for my coach. My coaches have coaches. (laughs) (laughs) So I I imagine it's easy to look back on all of those investments because each of those are investments, right? These aren't volunteers that are coming in your life to help you. Um, It's easy to look back and say, all of those have a positive ROI. All of those have been well worth it. But I would imagine at some point prior to any one of those, or maybe earlier in your career, these were big checks you had to write. They were big investments. You may have been a little bit over your skis. What advice do you have to someone who's listening to this and going, I can't afford a coach or I can't afford to join Nexstar? What advice would you give them? How would you kind of help them think about that? Yeah, well, this this may be the spot where Shanna has more risk tolerance than I do. And this may be the only spot. Interesting. So a couple, a couple of quick examples. When we went to the ABC uh, peer group, with Nextstar back in 2014, we decided before we left, it was a pretty substantial, especially back then, a pretty substantial amount of money to join Nextstar, that upfront fee. And we decided before we left, hey, we're not spending a dime. We get like, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about it. We get to the end of the the peer group meeting and they do, um, you know, they put everybody around in a circle and you do the grateful koosh ball. Like, what are you grateful for from the meeting? And Lisa says, I want to welcome our new members. And I'm looking around like, oh, who joined? And it, it, she said, uh, Will and Shanna Blanton. I was like, and I looked at Shanna. I was like, I'm going to choke you out. When we get home. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, she did it. She did that with with Nextstar. Same thing when uh, we were at a Tony Robbins event. He has this platinum partnership where you get to go with him to all these events and you travel the world with him. We went to India and all these different places. I've seen him. you on camels with yeah, yeah, I with, see you all over Todd, the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it was that was an amazing adventure. But the same thing, right? As she walked out of the room and came back and had the lanyards for Platinum Partnership, and she put mine on, and I was like, <sighs> right. So yeah. there's, so my advice is, if you didn't marry Shanna, which nobody did but me, 
you need to just go ahead and kick yourself in the butt and take the step because it's it's the payout as long as if you're not going to go into it with an open mind don't do it right right that's that would be my first advice like what are you what is the reason why you're going to join a next door what's the what are you hoping to get out of it and how open to you being wrong are you going to be because that was the first thing i had to recognize when i walked into the next door was there was a lot of things that I was absolutely wrong about that I had, if I wasn't able to swallow that and say, Nope, I'm wrong about that and change it. We'd still be the same place we were when we joined. Yeah. It, it really is a big shift when you're, when you've got a team, you, you start with yourself, of course, but when you've got a team that instead of just trying to defend why they're right all the time, it's wake up every day, trying to figure out how you're wrong and get better. Yeah. That was you know, one of the things that uh, Keith, Keith says is the, the, the biggest, how did he word it? The biggest addiction that uh, that we have as Americans is our need to be right, and it kills more marriages and more families than than alcohol or anything else. Right? It's it's the need to be right, and yeah, I believe it. Right? I mean, if I have found more growth in being wrong than I've ever found in being right, and 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 I'm commonly called a know it all. So <laughs> so that's it's been a real struggle for me to to swallow that and say, man, there's an opportunity here for me to be wrong. Has your team and the team members adopted that same philosophy? Are they they comfortable in that space of how how can I be doing this wrong? Oh man, our our team has done an amazing job with and and I I credit part of it to Keith obviously because he he obviously had to the the, the very first thing that that caused us to have such a a great experience with Keith's coaching was the vulnerability that happened from the leadership team. Mm -hmm. And that happened, that started with Shanna being extremely vulnerable at our very first offsite with Keith and accepting that she was wrong about something. Mm -hmm. And it was in front of the entire team. It was something that I don't think most owners would be comfortable with doing. I'm, I'm still, I struggle with it, right? To just put my guard down and be extremely vulnerable, but that's where the strength's at. And and she led the way with that. And I think the rest of the team, when they saw her do it, and usually doesn't want to be seen like with her guard down. Yep. So when that happened, the whole team was like, Wow, you know, that's that set the stage for what's gonna what's it gonna be like going forward. And man, they just leaned into it. I mean, every single one of them. I mean just just amazing and the growth we've seen happen man some of the personal growth stories that i've seen if someone said to me was what and this i could tell this a similar story with almost every single one of my coaches but if someone said to me man i can't believe you paid this coach x to do this and i told them one of the stories that changed somebody's life on my team personally they would have said that would have been worth every penny of it been worth it yeah it's incredible. Absolutely. And we have a lot of those stories. That would just be one of them, right? So. And how long ago was the event the where Shanna was vulnerable and it got the team kind of rallied around? Yeah. So that was, I'm going to go back. So that was, we started coaching with Keith in 2020, 22, 21. So 20, 2021. And so that would have been in October of yesterday, basically. Yeah. So yeah, it, was, it was October of 2020 when, when that co- when that meeting happened, cause it was a, like a pre-meeting before our first year. Interesting. So, I mean, yeah, like 
we're in 2022. What is this August? Yeah, it was basically less than a year ago or more. I, I don't know. I got up early today. It was not that long ago. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it was. It was just over a year. Yeah, just yeah. over a year. So, but man, it just opened up the door, and then man, it's our whole team has just been amazing at being vulnerable and having each other's backs, and yeah. you know, sitting there and giving each other space to to share things without judgment. I mean, I, I can't say without judgment. We always judge, but it's also looking at the judgment and saying, "Is that is that right?" Right. Yeah. You know, we always have the first thought, but you always have the right to recall that thought and say, huh, well, maybe I was wrong about that thought. So, right. When you think about your team and you think about all the investments you've made over the years into the culture and making Blanton's a great place to work, what is the area or areas that you're, you're most proud of? And also that if, that have given the best ROI for the business, not just financially, but been the m- most productive or produced the most fruit. Yeah. So I would say the, the, the thing that I'm most proud of is seeing the team grow, mm-hmm. right? Seeing, seeing growth and development, seeing a guy start here out of the military as a technician, no experience, watching him grow into one of the top technicians in our company, and then watching him grow into a, a management position, seeing that is probably the most rewarding thing for me. And, and we have a, a lot of those stories, right? With technicians became sales guys, installers became managers. And and sometimes growth doesn't mean growing out of your position. It just means being the best in your position. I mean, Michael Jordan's a perfect example of that, right? He didn't, yeah. he, he didn't grow out of his position as a player. He just became the best player. So I'd say that would be the thing that I'd be most proud of is, is always giving our team somewhere to go. If As long as the company is growing, everybody on the company in the company has somewhere to grow to. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest focuses we have right now is how do we develop career paths for every single person in the company? Yeah. Now they have to want it, but we typically don't bring many people on that don't. I mean, we have an amazing recruiting department and, and uh, we have a great team members and man, I think we got a whole team of people that are hungry to grow. And if we don't provide them with a place to grow because we're growing, they're going to go grow somewhere else. So, in closing here, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you have other things going on. Um, you know, one of the key pillars of EOS from my quick reading is vision and setting the vision and sharing the vision. And you're the visionary. And I'll, I'll read this excerpt from Gino Wickman's Traction. Successful business owners not only have compelling visions for their organization, but also know how to communicate those visions to the people around them. They get everyone in the organization seeing the same clear image of where the business is going and how it's going to get there. It sounds easy, but it's not. So this is a two-part question. One is, what is the vision and how do you get everybody bought in? Yeah. So what is the vision and how do we get everybody bought in? So that's that's a great question because when we first started on this journey, our vision was a revenue number, right? And what we found out was that our team was not motivated by a revenue number at all. Right. And why should they be right? right? What, 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 what is motivating about a revenue number to anybody? In fact, it's not even motivating to me really. Right. I mean, it's just a number on the wall. And so that was, that was one of the, the mistakes we made early on was making our BHAG, mm-hmm. right. The big hairy audacious goal, making it about a revenue number. And when we realized that a we weren't inspired by it and two not just not saying it's not important like obviously revenue is important because you got to pay for all of this right mm-hmm. but 
but it's not inspiring. We weren't inspired by it and our team wasn't inspired by it. And then our team collectively came together and said, what are we, what's our core purpose? What are we here for? What are, what are we getting up for every single day? And at the end of the day, it became to build a company that is a shining example of our core values, a place that we're proud of and we love to be. And that was what we crafted as a team. And if we do that, it will take care of the revenue number, right? So if we build a place that's a shining example of our core values and our core values are, we have five core values, always do the right thing. And that's, that encompasses a lot, right? You can almost just stop there. Can do, deliver well, be kind, and always growing. If we do those five things consistently and everybody on the team is doing them and doing them consistently, we don't have to talk about revenue, right? Not, not, as a, not as a team, not as a vision. And so that's our vision today. Now, how do we share that? It's, that is the, the more difficult part. Zach's a lot more articulate than I am. You probably figured out I'm a high school graduate and barely got out of that, which, was, which is fine. Like, it's not a sob story. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with my, the background, but I am not like a public speaker, right? And, but what I can do is bring passion to the speech. And just over and over, every single quarter, we have a quarterly company meeting. And every single quarter, we go over our five core values. Every single quarter, we talk about the, the vision statement. We talk about um, our core purpose, which is what I just said. Yeah. We talk about s- examples of people upholding our core values and give awards out for people that have upheld our core values. Yeah. So I think it's consistency, talking about it constantly. The, you, know, you can put it on the wall outside there and people walk by it every single day. But if you don't live it, breathe it, talk it all the time, it it doesn't do any good to put it on the wall. This episode, like all episodes, is brought to you by Contractor Commerce, plug and play online stores for contractors. We see a future where every contractor has an online store.